right, KISS Army. Welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. We hope that you enjoy. 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 Welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill. Today I'm flying solo just to introduce an interview that I conducted in July 2017 with the now late Phil Ashley. Paul Stanley posted earlier today, Sunday, July the 12th, 2020, that Phil had passed away. And uh, obviously he was very touched by that taking place. As am I, because Phil was a fantastic interview back when I was doing the Danger Zone project, celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Crazy Nights album. But in the interview, Phil touched on a lot of his work with other bands, with him, well, I guess it's just best for you to listen to the interview and uh, to hear some of Phil's stories from the mid-1980s, working with some of the biggest names in rock and roll. Rest in peace, Phil. Okay, well, thanks again for taking the time to talk with me. Um, certainly very much appreciate it. I'd like to get a little bit of background on you first, so, just so that we lead into, when we get into the KISS stuff, people know where you're coming from in terms of keyboards, which you were uh, working on on the album. How did you get into music and specifically playing keyboards? Um, I was I studied as a child classical, um, and I got into bands. Oh, I was about 12 when I started playing in rock bands, and then so I... I started pretty young and um, I always wanted to be a musician and I kind of, I didn't have a particular, I would just jump into styles, meaning, you know, I love classical. I loved rock. I loved pop. And then by the time I was 16, 17, I was playing jazz. So that gives you kind of an idea, <laughs> uh, kind of all over the place, but I always, I just love music. That's a very broad spectrum of stuff, and I always love to hear that from folks, you know, that you just don't get yourself pigeonholed into any one style. You can work around it. What would you call your first professional gig? Um, I technically always look at it as uh, when I was um, – I left college to go on tour with uh, Rupert Holmes. He was the pina colada guy. Yep. I and uh, so I played keyboards for him, and that was like my first, quote, national, you know, recording act, say. So I always look at that as, you know, the beginning of that kind of approach. Right before that, I'd been a college student and I had a big band, a 20 piece big band in New York that was put together for me by New York studio musicians. And we would play all around town and I was basically just would write everything. So um, even though it was with professionals and everything, I, know, I always look at that as just more of an experience. But I went from that straight into Rupert's band. Did you decide early on that you liked session work and the variety of working with different acts rather than being in a single band type situation? Uh, it took me a while. Um, I was with a band called the Uptown Horn Band. Uh, they're a horn section. They play with a lot of acts and they had a deal on EMI. And um, so they, I joined the band right before we went to England to record the album. I recorded the album. And uh, through some corporate stuff, uh, a bunch of acts got dropped. They were one of them. And I looked at it and just said, you know, this isn't really my thing. I love the variety. I like walking in every day and not knowing what I'm doing. So it became more of like it really fit for me to be more of a studio musician than, let's say, in one band playing the same stuff, you know, over and over again. It's, I was studying it. And the 10 or 11, my teacher um, said I had to make a uh, decision between performance and composition. And um, I chose composition. I like difference. (laughs) 
Right. So it, it's a personality thing. It's not really about, you know, what I think is best. or uh, It's just the nature of my personality. It, it certainly seems to have served you well. Mid 80s. So I'm going into 1986-87 here. You're working with, yeah. at, you're, you're doing a lot of session work with uh, Natasha's yeah. brother, Joy Winter, Jill Jones, Sweet Sensation. Uh, you record with Lou Graham doing his first solo yeah. album, Ready or Not. How did your interaction with Lou um, come about? Um, I actually, uh, it's funny because I was playing with my big band at the Ritz and um, the drummer in the big band was Lou Graham's brother, Benny Graham. And on soundcheck, he said, let's go visit my brother. He's doing an album over Electric Lady, which was Farner 4. So we went over there and I had not been in a recording studio like that ever. And I was kind of stunned. And Lou was very... Uh, friendly and you know they were showing us around so uh when it came time to do his solo record um i was highly recommended and um that's actually that was timing wise it was interesting because i finished Lou's solo record and i was doing the video for ready and not and that's when i was flying out to la to work with kiss it was like the same time all right, um, all right. Lou's album was like a little before yes it was a little before um uh crazy nights so, yeah, Lou's a great singer, great singer, and I really was happy to be on that record. That's a really fun album as well, and you, you got to play some of the uh, early solo dates that he did in support of it as well, didn't you? Yes, that's correct. Well, actually, I had to leave <laughs> Lou's band because I was also recording with Mick Jagger, and um, I, was in, I was doing his second album. I was doing that while I was doing Crazy Nights. And so when Mick offered me, asked me to go on tour with him and Jeff Beck, I, Lou was very gracious and let me, uh, I got someone else to do it. Actually, Gary Corbett, who was the one I had uh, recommended for Kiss. <laughs> right. I spoke with him on Friday and uh, I'm glad your stories match up. That always helps. <laughs> He's a good guy. Uh, but yeah, I was just so busy and so all over the place. Um, it was amazing. I slept. Yeah. Where were you recording with uh, Mick for Primitive Cool? Was that in Barbados or in Holland? Uh, I think I I started, no, I, uh, I started in Barbados because uh, they, they had someone else start the record, but then um, Mick remembered me. And um, so I, I went down to Barbados, recorded with him. And then actually right after I finished Crazy Nights, the keyboards in LA, I ran to New York to finish up with Mick. And I ended, I ended up, you know, two tours with him. I, I think you did a video with Mick yeah. for Throwaway. Actually, that day I went out there to do it, I, I visited KISS because they were doing their rehearsals for Crazy Nights. And Gary had just, uh, you know, started working with him. So, yeah, this is all happening at the same time. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that's, that's what I find so amazing, that you're having to juggle and pick and choose between, you know, Lou Graham, Mick Jagger, KISS, which, which is absolutely amazing to have all that on your plate at one time. And I guess you're doing uh, remixes with, uh, who is it, John Luango? For Aerosmith, John Lewis, yeah. When I when I was in town, I would work with John. He he was uh, he kept me pretty employed. But I was also working with Debbie Harry, uh, so I, I was just flying from one studio to another. It was great. It was really enjoyable. I had an office at Electric Lady, so a lot of the acts started coming down Electric Lady to work with me. Just out of it was easier. Um, and so, yeah, it was a great, it was a, it was a lot of fun. Couldn't ask for more, right? Absolutely not. So I've got a question about the, it's uh, tied in with Aerosmith, all the, the remixes that were popular in the mid to late 80s of yeah. Dude Looks Like a Lady and Ragdoll. You were doing those with uh, with John. Did you, was there any right. talk about doing any for Crazy Nights? Um, You know, not really. I don't think so. Uh, uh, I introduced Paul and John later on, he did a remix of uh, uh, sex, uh, X and Sex. 
right? Which you're on so the credits for. So that was the for. first time. Yeah, that, that was the first time I believe that John and Paul actually did something. But uh, Crazy Nights, I don't remember that. Okay, so there's no 12-minute version of Crazy, Crazy Nights sitting out there that KISS fans are going to worry about. It, it, it could be, but I would know, I know nothing about it. All right, so uh, I never and I never heard of it. Paul Stanley, how did you meet him for the first time? Because you're working with him doing demos, which eventually get recorded right. for Crazy Nights. How how does um, Phil Ashley come into Paul Stanley's realm? It's a funny story. Um, I was sort of uh, the staff synthesizer player or consultant over at Electric Lady. They were doing Asylum, the album before Crazy Nights, mm-hmm. and Paul wanted to try keyboards on uh, Tears of Fall. So the studio manager recommended me, Mary, and I uh, went into the studio and uh, we started working on the tune. And Paul and I <clears throat> definitely could not figure out where we knew each other, but there was something we knew each other, but we couldn't figure it out. And after about 20 minutes or 25 minutes, he figured it out. We, we actually grew up a few blocks away from each other and we knew each other as kids, uh, teenagers, and we played together and we had both changed our names. <laughs> So, and I didn't really know anything really about Kiss. So I didn't realize that, you know, I knew him as Stan. So he had gone on to do that and he didn't realize that I changed my name and I had gone on to do these other things. So that's how I met Paul uh, or reacquainted myself with Paul was on that situation. It was a real mind blower for both of us, two guys from Queens. Um, so when he wanted to do Crazy Nights, he spoke to me about it. And he, he asked me if I would, uh, you know, get involved with him on the demo side. And I said, sure. So we did the demos. I did all the demos with him at Electric Lady. Uh, we would program the drums bass. I'd play the keyboards, Paul would do the guitar. And then we'd go in the studio, do vocals and so forth. And that's what was used as the templates for the album when it was recorded out in L.A. And a lot of that stuff, that I think they released Time Traveler on their box set in 2001. Was that some of the material like Best Man for You, Don't Let Go, and When Two Hearts Collide? I think those are the big songs that kind of circulate out in collector circles. That um, Yeah. You see, I'm not familiar with, we did a lot of songs that didn't go on the record. Two of those titles I remember. But again, titles may have changed too. So I do remember we did stuff that, you know, did not come out. And, you know, that's always part of every record. And, but uh, the last one and the first one, I believe, I remember those. Uh, when Two Hearts Collide and Time Traveler? Yeah. Okay. Uh, do you recall working on Hide Your Heart at this stage? I think he did that in 87 oh, and yeah. got left off the album and then used the following Absolutely. year. Absolutely. Um, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, you know, again, this is 30 years ago, but I believe that was recorded for another Kiss album after Crazy. Nice. It, it was. It was recorded in L.A. Yep. It was. And I remember singing, I sang some of the chorus with them besides the keyboards. Oh, uh, right. that, was one my, that was one of my one <laughs> vocal debut with those guys. <laughs> so I remember Hide Your Heart. Were, and, were any of the other Kiss guys around uh, when Paul's doing these demos, Bruce, for instance? Um, Bruce would came in, I believe, to do some uh, solos. Um, Eric came in to do some vocals. And that was about it, because it was New York, basically, where we're doing these. And these were only going to be sketches. They were never supposed to be, you know, this is it. It was really for Paul to figure out. He was going in a slightly more pop direction, and he really wanted a very close handle on the arrangements. And that's what we were concentrating on, bass and drums and voicings and so forth. So, um, you know, as I said, these were, they, they were well-done demos, but the idea was never, you know, that they would be re-recorded with the band. So, um, you know... 
guitar solos. I think Bruce did some, but I don't think that we finished them all. Do you, you know what I mean? Right. They, they wouldn't have needed them at that point, really, to flesh out the overall no. idea. So No, no, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. It was really for Paul to really, you know, Paul's a hard worker. And the idea was to maximize these tunes, make them the best they could be. Was he talking about publishing at this time? Because I, I know it's reported in Billboard at the time that he was writing for Cher and looking for other artists. I, I think he did a song that went with Jeff Paris as well at this time. Paul Dean picks up one of his songs. Um, was he talking with you about what this material is for? Is he saying, hey, I think this is a good song for Cher or, you know, this is all for the next Kiss album or this is just ideas I'm working on? No, um, everything was pretty much for Kiss, except when Two Hearts Collide, I believe he did for Cher, because I remember recording that. And um, it was it was he kind of wrote it for her. But everything else was really just right, 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 right. And what does this sound like and trying things? So it was always uh, basically, you know, always for Kiss. Were you helping him with the arrangements, making idea, uh, making suggestions for, hey, Paul, try this, because you come from a different perspective? Um, he's very much a guitar-oriented guy. He he was writing on keyboards, he says at this time, but he calls himself a kamikaze keyboardist who kind of yeah. just jumps oh, yeah. in, and that's why you're there, I expect. Well, again, Paul's not really a keyboard player, so he would hear things and understand the top note of voicings and things like that. So it was really, you know, for me, that's an easy translation. I play guitar also. So this is what I do with people is try to pull out from them what they're trying to attain, maximize what they're doing. So um, he had very definite ideas and this idea was to flesh them out. And to so my background being playing on so many kind of pop records and things like that, um, you know, obviously I would help him with those kind of things. It was a lot of fun. We had a gas. We used to work in my office and then run to his car and listen. So how, how easy or difficult of a process was it with Paul? Because he's very particular. He has a, a very definite vision in his head of how things are going to sound. And if he's kind of uh, describing to you and you're translating into you know keyboard and sound what, what his um, thoughts are, how did that process go? Was it was it tough, or did you kind of click and know what he wanted easily? Total click. Um, we had similar music sources. Paul and I, as teenagers, um, had similar sources in the sense that we both loved Led Zeppelin and Cream and those that kind of music. He had gone much more to the performance side, and I had gone much more to the other side. But we had a base understanding of where we were going with this stuff. Um, so. For me, it was a breeze working with Paul. I mean, I've worked with Paul for a number of years on things that weren't Kiss. So uh, we even did one of the tours in the 90s. I think, no, no, it was in the 80s. Oh, I, I forget when. He wanted to do a classical piece for the opening. And he came to me and I did all the instruments, you know, using synths and samplers. And we had a guess, you know. So and that was a real stretch. I'm sure, <laughs> you know, that was an interesting experience for him and it was a great experience for me so he and i gelled when it came to working together um he was a very he did his homework he did his work he he really you know i, I that's what i'm used to dealing with people like that so when you're recording at electric lady are you in the proper studio or is this a side room and you know a quick and dirty place because he was known in the 70s for you know going into the full studio for his demos was he still doing that when he worked with you? Oh, no, no. We, we, 
Yeah, well, we started in my office because we do a lot of programming. The drums are programmed. The bass was programmed. And then we, once we needed to get, you know, we needed to get it on tape, we would go in the full studio. Dave Whitman, uh, who engineered a lot of records for Kiss, um, he was the engineer for most of this. What sort of equipment did you have in your office for, for tracking and recording? Um, it really wasn't for tracking and recording. It was really, I had banks of synthesizers. And so the idea was that I could program stuff in my office, but we would always hit tape. This was the 80s, and digital recording was still in its infancy you know, in terms of computer recording. So what's, what sort of tapes being used in the studio to capture these demos? Is it four, eight track, or, you know? Oh, no, tw- full 24, full 24, maybe 48, uh, probably 24, if I remember correctly. No, we're using studios, you know, would... Electric Lady was in a state-of-the-art studio at that time, and we were using facilities if we were recording, you know, uh, final records, whatever you want to call it. So when when it comes time for them to do the full album, were you always planned to be a participant in those sessions, or did you get a call later on saying, hey, Phil, can you come out to California and do the sessions with Ron Nevison? No, they were very, Paul was very adamant from the beginning. He wanted me on the record, and Ron came to New York while we were doing demos and he was thrilled that we were doing so much pre-production. He said, you know, you guys are doing my job for me. And, um, so I was new to Ron, I know, but, uh, you know, again, I went out there. I ended up working with Ron on, uh, an album after that. So, um, you know, no, it was always going to be, I think from my perspective, I just had to figure out the schedule. That was always the hard. Yeah, it, it sounds in 1987-88, you didn't have much time to take any time to do anything other than fill all this stuff in at the same uh, very clogged schedule, wasn't it? It was so crowded that I remember that I was doing the video with Lou, and the director wanted another take, and I was like, shit, I'm going to miss my flight to L.A. to start with Kiss in the Morning. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, it was just, it was just, it was what it was, you know. Um, I was, while I was doing Crazy Nights, Mick was calling me and we were discussing what we're going to do once I get back to New York. So that was my life and it was great and uh, I loved it and Kiss were part of that, uh, you know, they were one of the acts that I was working with. Do you remember which studio you were at in California? Was it Can-Am or were you out at Rumbo? Rumbo. And were other band members around when you were doing it, or did, were you just coming in and putting the sweetening in, yeah. or were were there listening back sessions with Gene and um, other guys to to, to review no. it, or was it strictly Paul's in in control here and with, with uh, Ron? Oh no, Gene um, uh, was there the whole time. Bruce was there a lot. Um, I think Eric was there. I just don't remember offhand, um, but I remember Gene and uh, because we went bowling. And, in fact. I'm pretty sure Eric was there when we went bowling. Anyhow, um, Gene, you know, uh, Gene, once I started working with Kiss, actually, I started working with Gene on a couple of his records uh, that he was producing for his label. Um, What were those bands called? Uh, Anyhow, so I knew Gene also, you know, through this Kiss connection to Paul. And, um, no, Gene was definitely there every day. When I talked with Carrie Corbett, he, he made a comment about Gene did not like keyboards. Um, was there any of that undertone that, that you got from him that he, he, he wasn't totally thrilled to be doing an album that was a little bit more pop oriented with a strong keyboard essence to the music? Absolutely. That was his opinion and, uh, totally valid opinion. And, um, Yes, he expressed it very clearly, but I looked at it as, well, you guys make the decision. That's really not my, my role is to maximize what I bring. 
whether you like it or not. So that's, that's for you guys to iron out. So Gene was always good about it. He was used to do the skating thing and, uh, you know, I don't know. I took it in good, good, uh, you know, it's fun. Everyone has their opinion. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Gary also said that when he did his sound check, uh, with the keyboards, Gene would start ice skating around the, uh, stage, uh, fake ice skating to let him know exactly how he felt. He did that in the studio. (laughs) Okay. No, I mean, you know, again, Gene is a character and you know, that's part of who he is. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, that's what it is. It's, it's, he's not the first one and he's not the last one. And uh, we all have opinions, and he expresses it particularly that way. But I've done so much work with Gene over the years that, you know, what can I say? It, it's it's just part of uh, the, the thing. When they were producing Crown of Thorns, uh, Paul and Gene, I did the keyboards on that, and um, they needed keyboards on that 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 band. That the, the focus of that band was it was guitar based, but definitely had to have keyboards. So, you know, yep, that's Gene. Gene at least makes you know. He's fun. Yeah, different different situations. He knows what's needed and and goes with it. Right, right. In hindsight, how happy were you with your work? I, I mean, obviously, you probably didn't have any time to sit back and listen to it and think about it after you finished going out on tour with Mick and everything else that you were doing in the studio. But um, were you happy with the production when you did finally hear the the finished product, how Ron had done, and how the how your contribution sounded? Oh yeah, very much so. Uh, I was actually surprised how loud the keyboards were. Uh, it is a, a hard rock band. Uh, also we had, when I worked with Ron, we had kind of like did all the parts that had been done in pre-production and he was happy. And then he said to me, look, what do you think? Do you have any ideas that have not been, you know, uh, we have not looked at, uh, yet. And I said, sure. And he just basically said, okay, go for it. And that was a very good experience for me because I love working with producers that, give you that kind of openness. So the end of the keyboard recordings, really, he gave me a free reign. There are parts on there that were not part of free production. And uh, I had a gas loop on doing that stuff. So for me, it was a very uh, positive experience. And, um, you know, I'm looking for different things uh, than, let's say, other people may look for. I'm just looking that the, that the whole product is, is, is good. Do you understand what I'm saying? If, if I do great keyboards, and the drums sound like shit, it's not going to work. So I was just happy, everything. I like Ron's production. So I was a fan of his, his stuff with heart and um, so forth. So it was very positive. And then, of course, uh, two of the three singles were very keyboard-oriented, Reason to Live and Turn on the Night, both heavy with the yeah. uh, keyboard influences. Um, when it comes to Kiss touring, you were were you never considered whatsoever because... Um, I was too busy. I, and, and at the same token, I would be playing off stage. So... If your if your choice is between playing with Lou Graham or Mick Jagger on stage and Kiss behind stage, I don't think that's really a relevant choice. You know, they Paul always knew that I was doing all these things, and I really wasn't that into touring. <laughs> I was really a studio guy. So, you know, when it came time to get a keyboard player, he, Paul called me and he said, you, "Can you recommend somebody?" So it was it was never for me to be in that role. So you knew Gary from around Electric Lady or, or the, the New York scene and recommended him to Paul? Yeah, because what happened is, is when I uh, made the move from Lou to Mixed Band, I had Gary take over. And Gary was great because he came to rehearsals, he uh, understood the program, and he slid right into the Lou Graham gig, no sweat. And that really showed me that he could do this. So when it came time for this one, 
to me, it was a no-brainer. And I knew Gary would love the gig. Um, so it, it all worked out for everybody. Uh, Gary was very um, professional. And that's what I know they needed. They needed somebody that they didn't have to think about, that we just do the gig, you know, learn the parts, uh, and so forth. So Gary was the perfect guy. Was he the only person you recommended? Yes. Or did you give them a list? No. I, I said, try Gary first. We'll get back to it. But I just said, I think he's the right guy. He, he, he'd done it. He proved it. He proved it to me. You understand? Absolutely. And the, I was listening to some of the Lou Graham stuff uh, the other day, some live shows from Germany. Sounded good. Um, smashes, thrashes, and hits. The following year, they're back in New York. Uh, well, Paul is. And you work with them on the two new songs on there. Is that correct? Or did you just do the remixes with uh, with John later on for Let's Put the X? Now, we're talking... Uh, you're talking uh, X with my, uh, uh, I'm sorry, sex. X and, put the X in sex. Yeah, X and sex. Is that one of the yeah, songs? Yeah, X and sex and uh, rock hard. Okay. I don't really remember rock hard, but then again, I could have worked on it. I remember sex and X because I went to Paul's apartment, and that's where we started programming it. And he was working with Desmond Childs. That's right. Um, who he, he tended to work with. I bet Desmond back in uh, when it was Crazy Nights. Oh, no, even Asylum. Uh, uh, Desmond. So we started in his apartment and then we moved over to Right Track to record it with Kiss. So I did the horns. Um, yeah, I did quite a bit on that, that, that particular single. And it was, I guess that was it. I, I get a little confused because then there was another record. Oh no, the one with the pyramid. Yeah, that the yeah, hot in the shade with hide your heart and forever. Right. That I flew out to California to do in a studio out there. That was, um, yeah, so that was a different time. So, but as far as the the uh, X in sex, uh, yes, or sex in yes, I, I did a lot of work on that. Yeah, I think they were out at the Fortress in Hollywood uh, when they were working on Hot in the Shade and Cherokee uh, Studios. So yes, I, that's the, I was the studio. That's, that's that's I remember that well. Yes, you've worked with a tremendous amount of acts. Um, where does Kiss kind of fall in your wheelhouse of experiences? Are they up there in the middle? Uh, it's always tough to ask someone to rate, you know, a band that's been around for 45 years. Um, if you know what, Kiss, the only reason why Kiss is slightly different for me um, is that the relationship with Paul. I He's the only person that I knew as a teenager that we ended up working together so much later on. And that always, it was a different bond, if you know what I mean. It was, there was a certain friendship there. Um, like when he got his first marriage, I was one of his groomsmen. I did string arrangement that they walked down the thing for, uh, I think it was forever, actually. Um, so for me, Kiss was really this relationship with Paul. Uh, Paul would come to my shows. I was with Joe Satriani in the 90s. He, he would he like to see me play with Joe. Um, so it, it was, it's a little different. Um, I always look at different artists I work with as I'm there to maximize what they do. Um, and with Kiss and Paul, I really felt I was able to accomplish that. So that's a sign of success for me as far as where I stack all these things. Um, it's hard for me. I don't really say, oh, this is going to be a hit and this is not going to be a hit. I just do the best I can. And... Um, I think when you work with lots of artists, it's, you don't really like compare them. They're all unique. So I learned different things from different people. Um, you know, Lou was so different than Mick, 
Nick was so different than Tina Turner. I mean, uh, Cher, totally different. Um, Michael Bolton, totally different. Satriani, totally different. So everyone's different. And I, for me, the exciting thing is bringing to that different things. You know, the work I did with, let's say, uh, Joe Satriani is very different from the work I did with, let's say, Cher. Absolutely. You know? So that's how I look at it. Paul, it was less about, I didn't know anything about Kiss. And when they did Asylum, um, and I played a little bit of this keyboards on that song, but he asked me to, he asked me to come out to help them with um, the show. I had programmed Eric's uh, syndromes for his solo. And also um, then eventually I did some opening music, but anyhow, they flew me out and they were doing rehearsal and Paul came up to him and he said, you've never seen us. Right. And I said, no. And you know, so it, he kind of introduced me to kiss. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's a little different. There was a little more of a, a friendship thing there. And I, I, you know, I admit that. One of the things I, I do like asking, especially people who knew Paul before, was there anything about him that when you knew him in his youth that you would have said, I'm not surprised he actually made it as a musician? Because how many kids do, you know, play around with music when they're young and not make it? Is, are you surprised or not surprised that Paul became the success that he has been for so many decades? You know, that's a hard question. I'm not good at that. Um, the only thing I do remember about Paul is he had a vision. We used to talk I remember at the bus stop <laughs> and um, he had, he was, like looking at this thing of like cartoons and rock and, you know, he was much more image conscious than I was. And I thought it was really interesting. It was very like a vision he had. And this is way before kiss. So I saw that he had a vision in terms of an understanding, uh, the sort of symbolism of music and so forth. So that I did recognize, um, he and I were both very, into the London fashion of that time, all that kind of stuff. But as far as knowing that he would make it, I could, I could make a huge box of all the people you think are going to make it and they don't. Right. You know, I mean, growing up in that era in Queens, it's like everybody was in a band and very few got past 30, you know? So there's a couple of my friends that are studio musicians but Paul was the only one that really became, let's say, an icon or a star. Um, so, you know, but did I see it? No, because I'm not good at those kind of visions. Right. That's not, you know, that it's, it's my, I just, it's just not my thing. It's, it's not something I'm good at. Were you actually in the same band as him or just playing in bands around the same scene? No, what happened was we had a friend, a mutual friend, and this guy said, you got to meet my friend Paul. And um, I said, okay. So I walked over his house with this uh, friend and um, went to his bedroom and he had his guitar under his bed. I remember he pulled it out and we started jamming and um, you know, it was fun. I was really, I was playing guitar in those days and we didn't continue in terms of playing together, but we always talked music. We were always running into each other, uh, whether it was parties or at the bus stop because he went to school in the city and I was always going in the city. And, um, so we'd always see each other and stop and talk about music. This was our thing, but we weren't in bands cause I was doing more of the Allman brothers type stuff. And he was doing a bit more of the harder rock stuff. So we were, we were kind of like in different worlds, but at the same token, always discussing music. 
We were definitely two addicts. We, we were two addicts. There was no two ways about it. <laughs> that, that is just one of those absolutely fascinating little pieces of minutia to, to learn that you don't don't go in expecting to find when you speak with someone. We're talking about crazy nights in 1987 to find out something about 1970 to 72 or, or whenever it was is uh, just absolutely fascinating. And I, I do thank you for sharing that. No, it's, it was one of the jokes with us because I ended up, um, I remember like, uh, again, he lived only a few blocks away. When um, I moved to Long Island, I moved to the same town as his parents. At one point, I actually lived across the street from them. <laughs> oh gosh! So it was just like it was just like so crazy all these connections. Um, and, but it just you know it, it was what it was. Well, uh, Phil, I've taken up uh, nearly forty minutes of your time, and I very much appreciate you uh, taking the time to take my call. Well, thank you again so much, and you have a good afternoon. Absolutely, same to you. Take care now. Bye. Bye. Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.